TII item 321, September 17th, 2014, iOS 8.0 Goldmaster and battery saving tips. Welcome to Today in iPhone. Yeah, I like it a lot. Today in iPhone. Hey, Goldie! Oh yeah! My beautiful iPhone, which I never have out of my hand and that I do everything with and has become an extension of whom I am. This episode of Today in iOS is brought to you by Nextworth.com, where you can use promo code TII to get a 10% bonus on any iPhone trade-in. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Rob, and this is the Today in iOS podcast. First up, I want to thank Jeff for sending in the music here in the background. Jeff wrote, Hi, Rob. I made this song with an iPhone 4S using the GarageBand app. For free downloads and more music, follow me at JeffJ6 on Twitter. Regards, JeffJ. Well, thanks, Jeff, for the music. And folks, I will put the full song at the end of the episode. I'll also want to thank Martin for sending in the artwork for today's show. Martin wrote, Hello, Rob. Here is a photo I took with my iPhone 5S and edited it with Snapseed and finished it off with Adobe Photoshop Express. Edit text with Tipic Plus. Regards, Martin. Well, Martin, thanks again for sending in this artwork. And folks, you can see Martin's artwork in the free TII app in the bonus section for episode 321 or if you subscribe via itunes on your computer as the album artwork and also as a standalone post in the vip section and at facebook.com slash today if you have some artwork and or music you have created on your ios device that you would like to share with the audience please email to me at today at gmail.com and please make sure to include which app or apps you use to create said artwork and or music In this segment of How Wrong Were They, we have the following quote, quote, I don't believe that your phone should be an assistant. Your phone is a tool for communicating. You shouldn't be communicating with the phone. You should be communicating with someone on the other side of the phone, unquote. Andy Rubin, Senior Vice President of Mobile, Google, 19th, October, 2011. That is odd. This weekend during football games, I kept seeing ads for the Google app for iOS and for Android where, you know, people were, dare I say it, communicating with their phones. Just saying. For promo codes on episode 320, we offered up chances to win promo codes for the app, My Precious. We'll be giving those out later this week. For more info on those apps, go back and listen to the beginning of episode 320. This week, we have promo codes for the app, Dangerous Ivan. Two words. Here is the review from the dev. Hello, we're developers of Dangerous Ivan, and we're happy to present you our game. It's an old-school arcade with two game modes, Story, where you should go through the mansion full of enemies and traps, and Survival, where enemies are endless and you should stay alive and kill as much enemies as you can. We were inspired by never-dying classics, Dangerous Dave in the Haunted Mansion. So if you're familiar with it, you'll get your portion of nostalgia. We gave our game nice and stylized graphics and written original hard rocking soundtrack, so the game looks and sounds cool. And be sure, it will give you a bit of a challenge. Hope you will love it, because we made it for you. Thanks to the dev for his review of their app, Dangerous Ivan, and for sending in the promo codes to give away. Folks, if you would like a chance for a promo code for this app, send an email to todayinios at gmail.com and put Ivan in the subject line. A quick reminder, if you are an app dev or an iBook author, email me if you want your app or iBook featured in the promo giveaway segment. We just need the five promo codes or more to give away. 
simply email me at todayinios at gmail.com and please include a 60-second or less audio review of your app or iBook indicating you are the dev or author. Also, when you send in the promo codes, please make sure to let me know when they expire. There was a very interesting post from the site streamingmediablog.com where they went over what went wrong with Apple's streaming or attempt thereof event on 9.9. The author looked into what caused the issues, and no, it was not a capacity issue, well, not as the main reason for the issues, but rather it was how Apple set up the page for the stream. Seems Apple decided to add some JavaScript code to the apple.com page, which is what drove the live update of tweets below the video. However, it seems Apple screwed the pooch on this when their code wound up causing the page to make a refresh call every few milliseconds. Oh! This essentially made the site uncacheable. He goes into some other issues, but the summary is this. Quote, The bottom line with this event is that the encoding, translation, JavaScript code, the video player, the call to S3 single storage location, and the millisecond refreshes all didn't work properly together and was the root cause of Apple's failed attempt to make the live stream work without any problems, unquote. The good news in all this is these are mistakes in the setup of the page, not that too many people were actually hitting the stream at the same time. And that is good news in that for the likely October event, which will come up probably sometime in mid-October, Apple should have fixed these issues, or at least fired the people and hired new people to fix these issues, and the stream should go much, much better. Well, in theory at least. That may also mean that this week's update to iOS 8 may not be as bad as I feared on the last episode, but hey, not as bad does not mean good either. It will be interesting to see how that October event goes. Again, if there is an October event. And no, his explanations do not at all cover the issue for the first 30 minutes with a woman speaking in Chinese. That was likely just a human error in picking the wrong feed. So yes, lots of issues for that event. Hopefully for October, it is smooth sailing. Last week, we saw some great activity in our Google Plus community, of which we are now well over 1,300 members and growing. Thanks to everyone that has joined, and thanks for the great posts. One new popular post in the Google Plus community this past week came from, well, me again, but not really. It was just a post I pinned to the top of the board asking people to put in info on their pre-order status. This was a quick and easy way for people up on the 12th to see what others were experiencing during the pre-order kickoff. I'm going to do a similar thing here probably tomorrow. I'll set up a new post that's pinned up there for people to report their online status, where they're waiting online, how many other people are waiting online. So please uh, check out the Google Plus community and add in your feedback as far as what's happening on the lines and where you're waiting. Now, that post that I already pinned up there per the kickoff at last count, there were 69 comments on that post, the beginning of which is from Ken Clark saying, quote, it's 3.04 a.m. Eastern time and the store is still down. And yeah, that was a common theme and experience for most. Those posting early about getting an order in were initially placing those orders on the carrier sites. Others finally getting orders in with the Apple Store app on the iOS device. 
as long as it was updated to the latest version, that is, if you didn't have your Apple Store app updated, what you actually got was an error message where it just couldn't connect. If you want to read about the frustration and read a lot of those comments from the first night, you can go back to the September 12th date to find that post, as I will likely unpen it once this episode is released so I can set up that other one I talked about. Thanks to all that participated in the Google Plus community. And just think, 69 plus comments and not a single Android troll among them. And also this past week, there were others, dozens and dozens of others uh, posts, all new in the Google Plus community, which is an Android Boys free zone and spammer free zone. Yep, it is the most civil Google Plus community covering iOS, period. Folks, go to todayinios.com slash community to join in, especially if you're waiting online and you're listening to this right now. Go to Google Plus, uh, todayinios.com slash community, join in, let us know where you're waiting online, and thanks to all 1,300 plus of you already in the community and contributing. Into the email bag. Hi, Rob. With regards to the numbers reported for pre-orders, you know what amazes me more? Unlike last year, they did this without pre-orders to China. Wow. I got my iPhone 6, 64 gigabyte gray at 5 a.m. Pacific time. No web problems at all at Apple's site. Regards, Steve in San Pedro, California. And Steve was one of the very lucky ones. Most people did actually report issues. Yeah, if you thought that streaming event was frustrating, try being online at 3 a.m. Eastern time and trying to order a new iPhone 6 or 6 Plus. Well... Here is some of the feedback from the users trying to pre-order. Hey Rob, it's Ryan from Seattle. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Woke up about five minutes to midnight early this morning. Went downstairs, fired up the computer, went to ATT.com, logged in, kept refreshing and refreshing and refreshing. Finally, I was able to order an iPhone 6 Gold, 64 gigabyte. Should be coming my way on September 19th. I hope you were able to pre-order your iPhone 6 Plus, but dude, it's going to be too big, bro. You got to tell us how it goes because uh, that thing's huge. It's going to be awesome, but it's huge. Uh, I don't know if it's going to work, man. Let me know what you think, and I look forward to the next episode. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Hi, Rob. This is Steve from Arizona. Just wanted to give you a brief synopsis of my experience purchasing the iPhone 6. I was unable. I started doing it at 1201. Stayed up late, even though I had to get up early for work the next day. Couldn't get it to work on the Apple Store. Found out later it took to like 3 o'clock in the morning, my time, which is right now Pacific time, to get it working. So I bought the phones on AT&T. That worked fine. Then I had to make a change. It was a mistake made in the order, not Apple's fault. So I tried contacting Apple. Could not get through. Got a live person at Apple Care. They connected me to Apple Sales. They could not get through. I got a very un-Apple-like message that basically said, we are not able, due to high call volume, we're not able to help you. We're glad you're interested in our products. And then basically said goodbye and it hung up. And this happened at least 15 times when I called off and on between 8.30 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. I wrote an email to Tim Cook complaining of my frustration and got a call from Austin, Texas, from a person uh, from the online Apple store who wanted to hear my concern. I told her what happened. She apologized. It eventually all worked out. We were able to get the phones ordered. Thank goodness nobody wanted a 6 Plus, so that never would have happened. And both phones, my daughter's and mine, will be delivered 
on Friday uh, the 19th when the phone's released. So anyway, uh, that's my uh, story for the ordering of two iPhone 6s. Uh, hope everyone else had an easier experience than I did. Apple's still a great company, but if I were a Google person going to Android trying to buy the phone, talking to someone in Apple sales, I would have been pretty frustrated and given up. I would have stayed with my Android monstrosity. So hopefully Apple cleans that up. Steve, Ryan, thank you for your feedback. Let's go into the email bag here. Hi, Rob. I bought the Silver 64 gig iPhone 6 Plus at 12.15 a.m. on the 12th. Like everyone else, I was bummed about the Apple Store being down. I went to Twitter to see thousands of tweets about it, but many of us just went over to our carrier's website and ordered our iPhones there instead. I went to the Verizon site and was asleep by 12.30. I'd prefer to buy directly from Apple, but I was tired. I wasn't expecting to hear all the Apple bashing the next morning about their technical glitches. Yet, with all their problems, Apple blew away all previous records, I hope Apple breaks down how many people bought the iPhone 6 versus 6 Plus, but I doubt it. As an Apple investor, I'm excited about the Apple having these two larger models, and I'm hoping that Apple renames the 5C and calls it the iPhone Mini. Paul from Bend, Oregon. This is Jeff from Connecticut, just calling in about pre-order day. Woke up at uh, 5 of 3, 3 a.m., and uh, set up my iMac, my MacBook Air, my iPad, and two iPhones ready for 3 a.m. launch. Well, when 3.20 came around and none of the websites were responsive, figured I'd try the uh, iPad and iPhone app. iPad app started to be somewhat responsive, but uh, as you selected your options, it would kick you out and start again. So I went onto the iPhones that I had set up. Those got me further. Uh, I had to order four phones, one for me, one for my boss, and one for mom, and one for a friend. And with uh, myself, I had to go through AT&T, and I was doing early upgrades, so I had to hit the AT&T website. I couldn't do it through the iPad app, or the uh, Apple app, unfortunately. But uh, for my friends and for my boss, that worked beautifully. It was the only one that was working. I was very disappointed that Apple's website didn't even come alive until 4.30 a.m. on the East Coast. The uh, AT&T website was somewhat functional at 3.45 a.m. Again, it was erroring out. Needed to start again multiple times. So an overall frustrating experience. Got to say I was disappointed that the Apple website didn't come up till late. It's uh, been frustrating in other years, but not that bad. So just uh, really surprised. But got it. Four iPhones ordered, and they all appear to be shipping on the 19th for the 19th. So... Fingers crossed that we get them in a day, at least according to AT&T and Apple, that's when they're shipping. So we'll keep the fingers crossed. I'm looking forward to it. Rob, thanks for your show. Appreciate all you do. Hey, Rob. Jeff Palumbo again from uh, Connecticut. Uh, just giving you a ring back on the pre-order. Just got the email from AT&T over two of the four phones through AT&T. They were iPhone 6 Plus models, both 64-bit, uh, uh, 64 gigabits. And uh, basically, it comes down to they're saying that the phone that was promised in stock to ship on the 19th, email says delay, uh, not delay, but order should be shipped out in 21 to 28 days. Did a couple of Google searches, and it appears that that is almost their staple answer on any web order, they call it, which isn't very, uh, it's not a great uh, staple message because it kind of gives everybody a little bit of a shock. Called it into AT&T, and AT&T said, you don't need to worry. 
it's going to ship out on the 19th. So uh, I'll give a call back in on launch day and see whether or not it actually shipped out or whether or not I got a uh, just another live from AT&T. Hopefully not. Fingers crossed. Rob, thanks again. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob. This is Jeff from Cincinnati, Ohio. I just wanted to tell you that I stayed up until 3 o'clock in the morning. Then I stayed up to 4 o'clock in the morning. Then finally, at 5 o'clock in the morning, I came down to the um, Apple webpage. I went to AT&T's webpage and ordered it. And then an hour later, it says AT&T confirmed your order that I should receive it in the middle of October. So I went back to the Apple store again at 7 o'clock in the morning, logged in, and I was able to order one. And they said it will be shipping in 7 to 10 days, and I should have it to have it the 1st of October. So this time, very bad experience with Apple. Talk to you later on. Bye. Paul, Jeff, and Jeff, thank you for your feedback. And folks, I cannot get everybody's feedback in today's episode. I put as much in today's episode as I possibly can throughout the episode, as you'll hear. But if your feedback was sent in and it didn't make it, I do apologize. But again, I did try to get in as much as possible. So with all these issues of people not being able to pre-order the device that they wanted initially because the site was down, was it a situation where no one was able to order the iPhone because everyone was ordering the iPhone? Well, kinda. Apple actually released their pre-order numbers, and this was just for the first 24 hours of pre-order sales, of which the website was down for close to four of those 24 hours. And the number was 4 million iPhone 6s and 6 Pluses pre-ordered. Or as Apple said in a third-person PR type post, quote, Apple today announced a record number of first-day pre-orders of the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, with over 4 million in the first 24 hours. Demand for the new iPhones exceeds the initial pre-order supply, and while a significant amount will be delivered to customers beginning on Friday and throughout September, many iPhone pre-orders are scheduled to be delivered in October. Additional supply of iPhone 6 and 6 Pluses will be available to walk-in customers on Friday, September 19th at 8 a.m. local time at Apple retail stores. Customers are encouraged to arrive early or order online from the Apple online store to pick up in-store or receive an estimated delivery date. Both models will also be available on Friday from AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, Verizon Wireless, additional carriers, and select Apple-authorized resellers, unquote. So I do find it interesting there was no mention of November deliveries, which is something I am hearing from quite a few people now, especially for the iPhone 6 Pluses. So if you did not order yet, you may still have a chance on Friday morning to get your iPhone 6 or 6 Plus, but note if you go to your local carrier to get your iPhone 6 or 6 Plus, don't be surprised to find they just have 16 gigabyte versions. At least that is what I'm hearing from T-Mobile. Apple also said in a press release which countries are going to get the iPhone on September 19th and the 26th. And on the 19th, it will be the US, Canada, Australia, France, Germany, Hong Kong, Japan, Puerto Rico, Singapore, and the UK. And that again is beginning Friday, September 19th. Then the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus will be available in more than 20 additional countries beginning on Friday, September 26th, including 
Austria, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, Ireland, Isle of Man, Italy, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, Qatar, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Taiwan, Turkey, and the United Arab Emirates. As always, if you are going and waiting online, please call into the show with your line waiting stories. 206-666-6364, that's 206-MOON-DOG, or email in to todayinios at gmail.com. And don't forget to go to todayinios.com slash community. Put your feedback there. Per the status of ship times from the Apple stores, all iPhone 6 configs for carriers in the U.S. are showing 7 to 10 business days for shipping right now. For the iPhone 6 Plus, it's 3 to 4 weeks for all configurations and carriers. Again, others are reporting delivery dates between November 3rd and November 26th, so basically sometime in November before Thanksgiving. Nice tight range there. Hey, Rob, this is uh, Jody over in Atlanta again. You know, I got a really uh, real serious beef against Apple and their supply. So, you know, I'm in an AT&T store, and then I found out that if I were to pre-order today, I wouldn't get the phone until November. However... If I camp out at the AT&T store on Friday and get there, I don't know, 5 o'clock in the morning, I've got a fairly decent chance of getting the phone. And it's like, I feel like I'm being penalized for pre-ordering. It, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, and what company makes a phone and makes an announcement and then not have enough to fill the supply? It's crazy what is happening with Apple and Tim Cook. Really? I think we had a situation we talked about maybe some months ago and you were saying maybe I'm wrong but Tim Cook is trading, supplying, whatever. But Apple is really falling down just the fact that you don't have enough products. You make an announcement and you don't have enough products. Really? The day that you make the announcement that you can pre-order you say, oh, we're already sold out. Absolutely crazy. Wow. Apple needs to change. And Samsung doesn't have this problem. And this may be the, I don't know, people might get tired of doing this with Apple. All right. Hey, man, thanks. Love the show. Tell me what you think about this. All right, thanks. Well, Jody, it takes a lot for me to pull out the How Wrong Were They music in the middle of the episode, but you earned it. And if memory serves me right, didn't you earn it once before? There is no way Apple could possibly build up for the demand that is in place because it is unlike anything else in the world. Four million iPhones were ordered in 24 hours. To bring Sammy into this is a joke. They don't get orders on a per-family basis anywhere close to this. Heck, the second calendar month and the first full calendar month that the Galaxy S5 was out, the iPhone 5C outsold it And the iPhone 5C at that point was like eight months old. And let's get this straight. Sammy also pre-announces their products, but they do it many months in advance. Apple doesn't do that. They try to keep word to the end, but there really is no comparison. That Apple is able to ship as many iPhones as they do and have and will is amazing. And what is really where Tim Cook shines. Do I wish on Friday that everyone that wanted an iPhone could have I could have one on the 19th, sure. But that has never happened. As a matter of fact, that's only happened one time with an iOS launch. That was for the original iPad. The next day, you could actually walk into an Apple store and buy one. Then word spread 
about how great the device was, and Apple quickly went into supply constraint uh, within a week, and that lasted for months. I'm sorry you may not have an iPhone on Friday, but you could always try waiting in line. And FYI, us longtime line waiters were pretty upset when the lazy pre-orderers were able to go ahead and get product for some past launches where they were able to pre-order, and we could not get product because they were sold out. The line waiters are the heart and soul of the Apple Kool-Aid drinkers. So don't be dissing Apple for trying to get the line waiters some phones. We line waiters feel cheated that there's pre-orders available. Because at one point in time, there were no pre-orders available. Orders started on the day and that was it. And again, going back to what Apple's able to pull off in a supply chain, no one, no one in the world comes close to doing what Apple does. It's by far the greatest rollout of product each year for the new iPhones. And this year is even more so than what last year is. They already have pre-orders double in the first 24 hours, what they did a year ago. Hi, Rob. Please let other listeners know about this. Regards, Jose. Thanks, Jose, for the heads up on this, with this being a post on 9to5Mac going over how Apple will change some things for those of you waiting in line this year. Essentially, Apple is replacing the physical card system that they've used the past few launches, where they went down the line in the morning, close to 8 a.m., usually about 7.15, 7.30, and handed out cards for the type device you wanted. So you kind of knew if the device you were waiting for was going to be there for you, after waiting in line for about six or eight hours, then you stayed in line for the most part and waited until it was your turn. Now they will do a virtual ticket that they will send you via SMS or email, and then you can get out of line if you want, come back anytime during the day to get your device. So if you are in line at, say, 7.45 a.m., get your virtual ticket. In theory, you should be able to leave at that point, drive to work, work all day, then hit the Apple Store on the way home and pick up your iPhone. Again, this is all in theory. We shall see how it works out in reality come Friday. And also, this is also based on leaked training material. So grain of salt, this one shall we take. Thanks go out to our new sponsor this week, and that is nextworth.com where if you use promo code TII, you will get a 10% bonus on any iPhone trade-ins. Nextworth sent me over some interesting stats showing the number of trade-ins around each launch. And there is always a big step increase from an S release to a new form factor release. There was about a 116% increase from the 3S launch to the 4 launch and a 99% increase from the 4S launch to the 5 launch. And they are expecting another 100% or so increase from the 5S to the 6, 6 Plus launch. What they also showed is the average selling price of old devices in September versus October and November and December as those launches happened. And in a nutshell, there's a big drop in prices in October and November with prices flattening out in December. Point is prices are going to keep dropping from here on out. So go to nextworth.com now and get your price locked in for 30 days for the, for the next 30 days. That's right. Nextworth locks you in to today's price for 30 days, meaning when your new shiny iPhone 6 and 6 Plus finally arrive, 
you get today's price, not a price that's 10 to 25% less come 30 days from now. This is at least based on past year's trends. But the price from today, that's what you get if you lock it in now. So you don't have a time machine, but you can kind of make one. So in the future, you're going to get what the price is today. And as a TIA listener, you get 10% bonus added to your offer price on your iPhone when you use the promo code TII. But you do need to use the promo code between now and October 15th. Using their service is simple and painless and can be done from your home. Even the printing of a prepaid UPS shipping label is automatically generated for you so you can send your iPhone or other device at no cost to you. And with Nextworth, you are dealing with a company that since 2006 has had an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. So don't worry about some guy you met online that you're trying to sell your iPhone to, trying to rob you in a parking lot. Just get your offer now, and within the next 30 days, ship off your iPhone from the safety and comfort of your home. And once again, use the promo code TII at nextworth.com, and you will get a 10% bonus for your iPhone trade-in when you lock in that price between now and October 15th. Thanks, Nextworth, for sponsoring this show. Okay, let's talk about the iOS update that is launching today probably launched already by the time you hear this, but if you're listening early, it may not have been launched yet. Here are my instructions on how to minimize issues when updating. First, as I've said many, many, many times, it's highly recommended you wait until the new update to iOS is out at least a week, and you hear that we are saying, you know, on today in iOS that it's okay. And do that before following these steps. And that's true if it's a .xx update. More true if it's a .x update, and it's really, really, really true for whole number updates like this one. On top of that, I have been using the Goldmaster since the end of last week for iOS 8, and I'm still getting crashes on it. Some of the bugs in the Beta 5 with regards to stock apps crashing, like the Podcast app, the Stocks app, and Safari, have not gone away, at least not for me. I was surprised to see the Goldmaster date for the ISPW file to be August 19th. That is two weeks and a day after the Beta 5 came out and when Beta 6 should have been released. And if you actually go back and listen to my episode from when Beta 5 came out, right after that I said, yeah, they really should be releasing a Beta 6 here on August 19th. At least from my trials of the Goldmaster and the crashes I'm seeing, I think there's going to be some bad PR around the release of iOS 8.0. At least for me, iOS 8.0 seems more flaky than iOS 7.0 did at Goldmaster. Please wait a week to hear how it is going for the masses, or really just wait until iOS 8.0.1, which <laughs> should not be that far off. If you are someone that likes when things just work with no issues, do not update right away. If you have ever folded a pair of underwear or can't stand if toilet paper or roll is hung the wrong way, or for that matter, think there is a right or wrong way to hang it, then you're probably not the person that should be updating right away. If you rely on your iOS device for work and some specific third-party apps, wait. Wait until you hear if there are issues with the latest update and specifically for your most used third-party apps. But... 
beyond the bugs when an iOS update is first made available during the first few days hundreds of millions of users will start trying to download that update. Apple servers have shown considerable strain for each major and even minor update in the past. There is no bonus or plus to be one of the first people to update other than being able to write a blog post about how frustrated you were about the new update. Again, my recommendation is to wait. Obviously, if you jailbreak, you need to wait. That goes almost without mention, but mention I will. It could be sometime in 2015 before we see a jailbreak for iOS 8, if the past two major whole number updates are any indications. All right, with my warnings aside and my ability to point back to this section to say, see, I'm not a blind Apple sheep slash Apple fanboy slash Kool-Aid drinker, we can now move forward. There are some of you that will not listen to my advice, throw caution to the wind, and jump in with eyes closed. For you, or those hearing this after iOS 8.0.1 comes out, here is my recommended procedure for doing the update to help minimize your chances of having issues. Of course, I'm guessing if you don't listen to me about waiting and do the update on September 17th, you probably are not patient enough to do these steps anyway, and that's too bad. For some of you that ignore these recommendations and just update right away, I look forward to those emails I get with every update that says, Rob, you're right, I should have waited and or followed your instructions. Hey, if I delay going over these instructions any longer, iOS 8.0.1 will already be out. Okay, here is the really quick list. Step one, sync photos off of iOS device. Step two, update all apps. Step three, force quit all open apps. Step four, backup, sync, backup to computer slash iCloud. Step five, reset network settings slash reboot. Step six, update to new version of iOS. Note, if you need your iOS device for work, you are best to do the update on a Friday evening or whatever day is the end of your work week. This way, if there are issues, you have some time to get your iOS device working again. All right, now here is the more detailed breakdown of these steps. Per step one, sync your photos over to where you manage your photos. If on a Mac, that's usually iPhoto. Make sure you get all your photos and videos over to where you manage them. Also recommend you delete them off your iOS device as well. Then this is an important step. Go back to your iOS device and make sure they were removed. Note, Burst photos do not seem to sync up to iPhoto, so make sure you go through your burst photos and pick the best photos and delete the others. If you back up to iCloud or another cloud service, confirm your latest photos are all synced up. There's nothing worse than losing photos, and while it is not likely your, your device will be bricked in the update, there is really no reason to take the chance. Sync your photos and videos to where you manage them and confirm they are all there. Step two, update the apps on your iOS device. Make sure you're connected to Wi-Fi. Update all your apps from inside the App Store app. For any key third-party apps you use all the time, go ahead and launch them to make sure they are working fine now. This way, if after the update they are not working, you know it's the update that is the issue and those apps need to be updated again to work with the new version. That's something you have to talk to the developer about. Three, Force quit all your open apps. Double tap on the home button 
to get to the app selector and then force quit slash close out all open apps on your iOS device. Step four, with your iOS device connected to your computer or via iCloud, back up your iOS device. Then if connected to a computer, sync your iOS device, then do one more backup. If you are asked about backing up apps to your computer that are on your iOS device, but not on your computer, do so. Same thing for transferring purchases on your iOS device that are not on your computer. Step five, go to settings app, general, reset, and tap on reset network settings. This will reboot your iOS device. Once it is rebooted, go to the settings app and select your Wi-Fi network. And if it has a password, you will need to re-enter it. Step six, update to the new version of iOS. Okay, if you go into the free TI app and you look at the post between episode 320 and episode 321, you will see those instructions and some of the warnings in a PDF document. I wrote those to be more generic for any update. But again, what I just went over, it's in a PDF document. You can find that in the free TII app, and that's in between episodes 320 and 321. And I did it as a PDF so that you can open it in the iBook app, and then you can print it from the iBook app. So you might want to do that. Actually, you do want to do that before you try to do the update so you have the printed instructions. There's another tutorial there right after that. We'll get into that in a few minutes. You want to print that one out as well. And again, you want to do all those printing outs before you update to iOS 8. From the email bag, here's a question on the update. Hi, Rob. I was listening to item 320 while mowing yesterday and specifically took note about your advice to wait around a week before updating to iOS 8. How would you feel about performing the updates using iTunes? My thinking is that iTunes would fully download iOS 8 to the PC and Mac first, and then you apply the update. Like you, I'm not putting a lot of faith in Apple's new servers being able to effectively push these updates without problems. Also, I have to ask the question, not knowing very much about the architecture of iOS, do you think that the iOS can become corrupted or modified by third-party apps released by Apple? Of course, uh, this being a non-jailbroken iPhone, iPads, I was always under the impression that iOS was designed to be very secure and that the code should remain locked. I asked this in part because of the experience while, uh, that reloading an iPad and iPhone, both using iTunes, did to those devices. It really brought back to life my iPad 2 and fully cleared the storage I had lost over time on that device. This is something that I do on Windows-based computers when the OS has been compromised with all the ill effects of viruses and malware. Just wanted your opinion on this. Regards, Marshall M. Hi, Marshall. I would say, without a doubt, if you can, you want to download to iTunes on your computer first the iOS 8 update. You want the download-only option, not the download and update option. I would stay far, far away from the over-the-air updates if they are available. Yes, download to iTunes first. Per the second part about iOS being modified, corrupted by third-party apps, well, it's not malware or viruses, but there are settings that get changed and some apps taking up mystery space on the device. So whenever you can actually do a full factory restore, that does seem to improve the overall performance of the device. This is especially true for older devices just barely still covered 
like the third gen iPads and iPhone 4S's. If you can, do full factory restores if you want to optimize speed of those devices. But to answer the question, if third-party apps are corrupting iOS, I'm not sure if that is an accurate way to say it. But if you ask, do some third-party apps cause conflicts over time? Well, I do believe iOS is pretty robust, and over time, iOS performs much, much better than Android. But there are definitely reports from a small percentage of users of conflicts. Just like you are reporting where a full restore helped out, is it an issue of viruses and malware? Well, there is no evidence of that, and Android and the press would be all over that like a duck on a Cheeto if it was. And Marshall also added the comment, let me also follow up with the fact that I did not restore anything to the device, but instead chose to reconfigure and reinstall apps manually. It was my way of making sure everything installed cleanly. Some of this was in part from listening to yours and others' comments in past episodes. Many thanks. Regards again, Marshall. I should note, Marshall, individual apps do get corrupted all the time. The more complex the app, the more likely you are to find that individual third-party app is corrupted. Usually something to do with the database issue with the app, and deleting and reinstalling that app sometimes is the only way to fix that individual third-party app that is corrupted. That is not an issue of iOS, by the way. That's, well, not really, but more around the design of the apps and how it makes network calls for info for those databases. Most apps do not have this issue. It's just a small percentage of apps. And when I say more likely, what I really mean is like 0.2% likely versus, say, 0.1% likely. Yes, it's more likely, but it's not really likely. So anyway, small, small percentage of apps do have problems 1.3 million apps in the App Store. So there's a lot of apps. And not all of them are written optimally. I guess that was a long way of saying, if you're having a problem with a specific app, delete it and reinstall it. All right, let's skip forward into the future where you have actually updated to iOS 8. And some of the things that you might be asking right now is, what do I need to do to optimize my iPhone for best battery life? Well, I am so glad you asked. Because here are some battery-saving tips for iOS 8, plus some of those thrown in from last year's iOS 7 tips that still hold true today. But first, let's talk about one of my favorite new features in iOS 8, especially with regards to battery usage. And that is you can now see what apps are using what percentage of your battery usage. It tells you the percentage of battery used by different apps in the last 24 hours and the last 7 days. For example... 41% went to the mail app for me in the last 24 hours. 21% to the podcast app, 11% to the home and lock screen. It does not show usage when charging, just battery usage when, well, using the battery. To get to this, go to settings, general, usage, and then battery usage. And then you will see your list of apps most draining your battery. Oh, hey, speaking of battery... There is the battery percentage indicator, and I've had more than a few people over the years ask about that. To turn that on or turn it off, the percentage for the battery, uh, what you do is go to settings, general, usage, then turn on battery percentage. Per new features in iOS 8 that I felt were potential battery drainers, they are, one, there is now a toggle for enabling handoff. 
This is where you connect using apps between all your iCloud devices. This is set on by default. Battery saving tip, turn it off unless you plan to on actually using that service. Go to settings, general, handoff and suggested apps, then turn off handoff. Number two, also in the handoff and suggested apps area, there are toggles under suggested apps for my apps and app store. According to the description, quote, show installed apps or app store suggestions for apps relevant to your current location on the lock screen and in the apps switcher as your phone's location services drains down your battery like a six-year-old sucking down a Capri Sun on a 95-degree day, unquote. Well, except for maybe that last part. Battery savings, hint here, toggle them all off. Settings, general, hand off and suggested apps, then turn off my apps and turn off app store. Number three, another one for potential battery hogginess is under calendars called time zone override. By default, it is set off from Apple. Quote, the time zone override always shows event dates and times in the selected time zone. When off, events will display according to the time zone of your current location, unquote. Anytime I hear current location, I think battery drain. So turn that one on. Again, it was time zone override, go to settings, then mail contacts calendars, then time zone override, then turn on time zone override. By the way, when I say turn on or off, there's a toggle there. Green means it's on. No green means it's off. Number four, another new feature, kind of, in iOS 8. There is now an option to share app analytics with app developers. From Apple, quote, help app developers improve their apps by allowing Apple to share crash data as well as statistics about how you use their apps with them, unquote. Now, if you select this to be on, extra data and battery usage you will have. And maybe you want to turn it off later. If you want to change your initial choice, go to Settings, Privacy, Diagnostic and Usage, and to save battery life, turn off Share with App Developers. It looks like to be an all or nothing thing, so as in share with all app developers or don't share at all. Number five. Not an iOS 8 tip new feature, but still one to help battery life. Also in the diagnostic and usage area, select don't send. This means less reporting being sent to Apple, which means less network communication and checking for reports to send. Go to settings, privacy, diagnostic and usage, select don't send. All right, the rest of these tips also are pretty much from iOS 7 or earlier to help save battery life. And again, they still hold true. Number six, turn off parallax. There are some that say this feature makes them motion sick, but really I think they're just looking at the battery indicator and that is what's getting them sick. Settings, general accessibility, reduce motion, then turn off on reduce motion. Yes, you turn it on. Turning on reduce motion turns off parallax. Clearly, someone at Apple is just messing with our heads on that one. 
Number seven, turn off AirDrop. Unless you plan on using it now or in the next few minutes, there's no need to have it on. Swipe up from the bottom of the screen to get to Control Center and just tap on AirDrop near the bottom left to turn it off. Number eight, and while you have Control Center open, tap to turn off Bluetooth. Again, unless you plan on using it right now, no need to have it on. This obviously is not an option for anyone with the Pebble or other smartwatch. Number nine, also in the Control Center, turn down your brightness. I find if you set it around a third of the full setting, it'll look pretty great still on the screen and you save battery life. Number 10 is to turn off background app refresh, except for those apps you want that info for. Go to settings, then general, then background app refresh, then turn off all those apps you don't need to update in the background, like any games or Yelp or speed test apps, or did I mention games? Yeah, no need for games updating in the background. I don't suggest shutting this down completely as there are needs for apps like MapQuest or other navigation apps to keep updating with your location info. But the more you turn off, the better it is for battery life. Number 11, turn off auto app updates. Go to settings and then iTunes and App Store, then under automatic downloads, turn them all off. Do you really need to have an update to an iBook happening automatically? Please note, these choices that we're talking about are meant for those that want to really improve battery life. There will be trade-offs with your experience. If app updates are not downloading or apps are not getting the most recent info in the background, that means you will need to manually get that info slash updates done later on. So again, this is about battery life improvement, not UI and overall experience improvement. Number 12, do not use dynamic wallpaper. Really, why would you do that anyway? Go to settings and wallpaper and make sure you select a static wallpaper, not one of the dynamic ones. And oh, definitely not a panoramic wallpaper either. I mean, really, do you have that much battery life? You can just throw it away by putting a panoramic view of your kid on a soccer pitch as your wallpaper. Number 13, turn off push mail and auto fetching of mail. Go to settings, mail contacts calendars, and fetch new data. Then turn off push and set iCloud and your mail accounts to fetch. And finally, scroll down and set fetch to manually. This just means the next time you check your mail, you need to pull down to refresh, i.e. fetch new mail. You could also set that to hourly, which by the way is what I do. But still, if the purpose is to save battery life and be as optimal as possible, then just set it to manually. Number 14, turn off notifications for those apps you don't need notifications from. Go to settings and notifications. No need for mail after making it manual in the last step. Plus, no need for photos or game center. Go through your list of apps and only select the ones you really want to see updated push messages from in the lock screen. Deselecting ones you don't need, like any game app. Number 15, change auto lock to five minutes or less. For iPads, this one can be a pain, as if you are reading, it can lock you out too quickly. So don't just set it for one minute on an iPad but one minute may be fine for an iPhone. To make changes on this one, go to Settings, General, 
auto lock and select five minutes or one minute or something in between. Number 16, quit open apps in the background on a regular basis. If you have 183 apps on your iPhone, there is no reason to have 182 of those apps open in the background. To force quit an app, double tap on the home button, then swipe up on the preview of the app to close it. Number 17, don't set alarms or reminders based on location. If you set up a reminder to remind you when you get home that day and it's 8.30 in the morning when you set that reminder, that will mean it is constantly checking your location throughout the day. Well, right up until your battery dies, that is. Number 18, location services. The ultimate battery killer. Only allow it for those apps you absolutely need it for. Games, no. Maps, yes. And keep an eye out in the upper right for a purple triangle. That means location services are on and active. You cannot turn it off completely. Well, okay, you can, but you should not turn it off because if you did, kind of sort of kills most features of Find My iPhone, like for a simple location search. Note, even if off, you can still reactivate by enabling loss mode, but still, you want to have location services on and you want to limit it to the apps that benefit you. Go to Settings, Privacy, Location Services, and look at which apps have locations toggled on. You might be surprised, like TuneIn Radio, or Shazam, or Stitcher, or a bunch of games. Yeah, turn it off for them. And our last item, number 19, Location Services, System Services. Go to Settings, Privacy, Location Services, scroll down to System Services, then go through the list of items and turn off those that you don't need, like compass calibration, location-based iAds, settings, time zone, and spotlight suggestions. Frequent locations, turn that one off. And then turn off all three items under product improvement. I know there are other tips out there about turning off LTE and even disabling keyboard clicks. But come on, what's the point of having an LTE iPhone if you can't use LTE? If you do all the things I mentioned previously and your battery life still sucks, you may have a corrupted app or corrupted backup that you set up from, or you may have a defective battery. Hey, every time there's a new iPhone launch, a very small, small, small percentage of people have a defective battery. What you need to do in this case to find out if it is a software or hardware issue is to go to settings app, then iCloud, then find my iPhone and disable find my iPhone. Next, connect your iOS device to your computer and back it up. Then select restore iPhone. This will delete out everything and you should set it up as a brand new iPhone, not from a backup. Note, you made a backup so you can restore from it later on. Just do this and then see after a few hours if your battery life is better than it was or the same. If it's the same, take said device to your local Apple store and see about getting a new device or at least a new battery. If it is better, then you have to decide if you want to restore from the last backup you did or just stay as you are and start the manual process of setting up that device again. If you go to the free TII app and look at the post between episodes 320 and 321, you'll see the second, or actually it'll be the first one, uh, as it's tips as a PDF. And you'll see all these tips there as a PDF document 
which you can then move to the iBook app and then print out. So this one's titled uh, iOS 8 Battery Saving Tips. So just look for that post in the TII app between episodes 320 and 321 that goes along. It's a separate post, but with the other one about how to update your iOS device. If you find these PDFs that I did in the TII app useful and helpful, please make sure to share the TII app with your friends. Let them know about the app and the show so that they can benefit from it as well and we can bring in more listeners. Hey, Rob, this is Aaron from Vermont. I'm calling in with regards with the guy who called in saying that he had a spinning icon next to his LTE slash uh, Wi-Fi signal. It just seems to be a bug in 7.1. I've had this problem too. I also have a iPhone 5. I didn't know, but I wasn't running the latest iOS version, even though I thought I was. I just recently updated, and it seems it has gone away. I've done a lot of research on this. And it just seems to be as simple as it's a bug in 7.1. Thanks, Rob. Love the show. Hey, Rob. It's Aaron from Vermont again. Um, a quick update on the guy that was trying to find a problem with the wheel spinning next to LTE. I did some more research, and it also looks like maybe there could be a problem with maybe checking the background, the data refreshing, maybe uh, some of his apps are on, like I have some of mine on. Or it could be something like you had mentioned, that maybe Facebook was... It, it means some kind of data is loading. So have him check, maybe he, if he listened to this, maybe have him check the background data refresh or something is loading within the iPhone that's making doing this. So if it's not the bug, it's some data is loading somewhere. Thanks, Rob. Hello, Rob. It's Ben from Montreal, Canada. How are you? Uh, just to let you know that uh, one of your listeners has mentioned he has a problem with uh, a uh, an icon on his iPhone. Uh, it's a spinning icon as if the phone is hanging. So I have the same problem too. And the problem doesn't happen a lot. I don't see it often, but once in a while it shows up. And trust me, the only thing I can tell you is there's no other way to get rid of it by turning off the phone and reboot it. Now, to let you know, I don't have a Facebook app on my phone. And strangely enough, the only time this spinning icon uh, shows up is whenever I have tapped one of those two apps, which is, strangely enough, the App Store or the iTunes app. Now, those two apps, I don't use them a lot, but whenever I use them, for some reason, it seems to trigger uh, that spinning icon. And even though I killed those two apps in the background, I have zero apps in the, in the background running in the background. That spinning icon goes on and on forever. So that's the only information I can give you so, so far. So I hope uh, someone will find a solution for this. But so far, problem is also on my side. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Hello, Rob. I also had the constantly spinning wheel on the right of LTE at the upper left of the screen, and it was driving me crazy. I have an iPhone 5. On a hunch, I closed all open apps and went to general, reset, reset network settings, and after the phone restarted, I signed back into Wi-Fi. Problem solved. Mitch in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Hi, Rob, this relates to the caller on the last show about the nonstop spinning gear wheel on the iPhone, something which happens to me too. Here's a link to a, to a forum board on Apple, 
a hard reset stops it for me, and there is a reasonable explanation on page two or three of the forum board about a mistake in Apple's code, which could be causing it best wishes, Roland. Hi, Rob. One of your callers was asking about the annoying spinning busy icon. Apart from turning the phone off and back on, I found the solution is to use reset network settings. That solved the problem for me. Regards, Matthew in Australia. Well, thank you all for the feedback there. It sounds like reset network settings is one way to go. Hi, Rob. You mentioned that it would be most advantageous to buy a Verizon iPhone for the most versatile use on a number of carriers. Would it just be a matter of, say, swapping in an AT&T SIM card in it uh, to this Verizon CDMA iPhone? Do you have the model number of this Verizon iPhone? What would be the downside to buying a T-Mobile device? I think the T-Mobile devices are going to be sold at full retail price at launch instead of via carrier subsidizing pricing. Do you think people will be able to pre-order a Verizon iPhone at full retail price? If no, and say you pay the $199, I wonder what the ETF would be if you cancel right away, i.e. will it be close to the $649 retail? It would be better if Apple offered the unlocked phones right away instead of later on, as they usually do, regards Mika. Well, Mika, again, like you said, in the past, they usually don't offer the Verizon uh, or any of the other unlocked iPhones right away or just the unlocked phones right away. So what I think you're going to see again this year is no Verizon off-contract phone, no unlocked phones. Uh, the only one you're going to be able to get at the full retail initially it, without a contract on a carrier, actually you still do need a contract, is going to be T-Mobile. So you're going to still need the contract with T-Mobile, but I don't think you're going to find any unlocked contractless iPhones available in the first couple of months, especially not for the iPhone 6 Plus, which seems to be the one that's supply-constrained. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. To answer Zach's question about disappearing apps after a second of them starting to download, asked in episode 320, check your restrictions. I had restrictions for my daughter's iPod Touches uh, to download or watch PG-13 material only or less severe apps and videos. And when I try to install apps with a higher rating, they just disappear. Try disabling restrictions or just selecting a higher rating in that setting and see if the apps appear or just try to re-download them. Regards, Fabio E. Good point, Fabio. Thank you. Hey, Rob. This is Tom Murphy. I'm calling about episode 320 and the caller that has issues with the downloaded apps not showing up on the phone. Likely, their pages are full. I have over 600 apps on my Apple 5S, and I know a lot of times when I download one, it'll disappear. So... You spotlight, pull down from the middle of the screen, you spotlight to search. If it's showing up, then I know that uh, that my screen full, I need to nest a bunch of them either in folders or go into iTunes and sync that way. And from the screen in iTunes, you can go to apps. And sometimes it's much faster to nest your programs and delete ones you want to delete off from there because you can see all the screens. But I hope this helps. Looking forward to getting me an iPhone 6 one of these days. I've got to try out both of them, though, because uh, I may wish I've got the bigger one. But in my opinion, the, the 6 Plus is going to be too big. Anyway, we'll see. Thank you. Enjoy the show. 
Thanks to all for the feedback. As always, if you have some feedback you want to share with the audience, give us a call, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOONDOG. Or email the show at todayinios at gmail.com. I would like to reread an email that I read on episode 319 earlier this month prior to the Apple event. Hi, Rob. It's Brian here in Galloway in Ireland. Something that might be of interest to you and your listeners is that here in Ireland, there are rumors that U2's new long-awaited album will be released preloaded on new iPhones due to be announced next week. Could be a coup for both. Regards, Brian M. Well, hi, Brian. Thanks for that rumor again, or have me read it again. And you did get it most rightly, well, kind of, sort of, around that part about preloading. Just not only new iPhones part. And that leads us to what Eek the Cat would say. It never hurts to help. And that leads us into the free U2 album again and Apple's giveaway to 500 million iTunes users, even if many of them did not want it. Seems Apple did not just give you the opportunity to go and click download. They also said, you know what, if you have an iTunes account that is connected to iCloud and you have it set up to automatically download any purchases, well, we're going to go ahead and push that download of the album from YouTube right to you. Again, never hurts to help. Well, except when people started complaining about getting this album pushed to their accounts without their permission or request and ability to delete it. Oh! So Apple has now responded with a page to help you remove said unasked-for album if you are one that is not a YouTube fan. From their site, they say the following, quote, If you would like YouTube's songs of innocence removed from your iTunes music library and iTunes purchases, you can choose to have it removed. Once the album has been removed from your account, it will no longer be available for you to download as a previous purchase. If you later decide you want the album, you will need to get it again. The album is free to everyone until October 13th, 2014, and will be available for purchase after that date. Do you want to remove songs of innocence from your account? Unquote. And then there, click this big remove album button from that site. Link in the show notes to that site titled Get Rid of YouTube Album. Be grateful Tim Cook is not a Slim Whitman fan. Of course, it would have been a little creepy getting him up there on stage at the end of the Apple event, being that he passed away in June 2013. Slim Whitman, that is. Switching gears, one thing that did not make it out of beta was iCloud Photo Library. Expect this to be part of iOS 8.1. More info on this when Apple makes the next beta available. Thanks to Michael for this next one, which the author makes it out to be a bad thing on what Apple is doing for the most part. I personally think it is a good thing. What the post is titled is iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus will ship with less available storage space than you'd expect. So how is having less storage a good thing you ask? Well, said missing storage space is being occupied by some apps from Apple. And will, Apple will be installing on the 64 gig and 128 gig versions only prior to shipping them out. And those are the free iWork apps and the iLife apps, which are iMovie, GarageBand, Keynote, Pages, Numbers, and iTunes U. FYI, iPhoto is replaced in iOS 8 with the Photos app, which now has the editing features of iPhoto. Why is this a good thing? 
is that these are apps that make you, the iOS device better. And now you don't need to go and download them. And if you want the space back, you just delete them. For the 16 gig version, you can just download the ones you want for free later on. Note, these are not bloatware apps. These are high quality, easy to use, fully functional apps that are not adware supported. These are real apps done really well. But still, if you don't ever plan to use iTunes U or GarageBand or one of the others, just delete them. These are not native apps like the podcast app or iBooks, which you cannot delete anymore. Hi Rob, when it comes to photography, some compromises are about physics, not cost, and I was delighted by the fact that Apple stayed with the 8 megapixel camera for the iPhone 6. There is an unavoidable trade-off between pixel size and light and color sensitivity, so more pixels on the same sensor exposed to light from identical optics can produce an inferior picture. I think the presenter was unable to get this into this without sounding like he was whining. But my guess is that Apple opted to listen to the engineers rather than the marketers on this one. I have always had shaky hands and am frequently frustrated um, by good pictures ruined by my inability to hold the device still enough while the shutter is open. I'm happy to know that Apple has chosen to improve image processing speed, stability, color, and focus instead of chasing a much less important metric. Here is a nice basic technical explanation on why Apple has done exactly the right thing by keeping pixel count low. He is not talking about Apple, just why increasing pixels can be counterproductive. Link in the show notes for this one. Uh, regards, Judd E. And the article is from ClarkVision.com. Again, look for the links in the show notes for episode 321 at todayinios.com. Oh, and the title of that link is Clark Vision Does Pixel Size Matter? Hi, Rob. It's Missy from Bellbrook, Ohio. I know lots of people are grumbling about the lack of significant upgrades to the camera on the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, but I wanted to interject another point of view. I'm a photographer, and I personally am thrilled with the camera. Fair disclosure, though, I'm an Apple fangirl, and I'm not even really familiar with the cameras that are available on competing phones, but I do know some of them seem to continue to compete in the megapixel race which to me is nuts. Um, I feel like improvements in low light performance, dynamic range, and autofocus speed are way, way, way more important than increasing the number of megapixels captured on a tiny little sensor. In my opinion, the vast, vast majority of photos that are taken with smartphones are not going to end up printed as huge wall portraits anyway. So the additional megapixels will really only serve to increase the file size, which in turn needlessly takes up space on your phone, your computer, and your cloud accounts. So that's just my two cents. I love the camera. As always, I love your show, and thank you for all you do to keep us informed. And then Missy followed up with this email. Hi, Rob. I forgot to mention in my audio opinion of the camera how much I enjoy the slow-mo capabilities of my 5S. So the increased frames per second on the 6 are just gravy. As a dad of boys, I thought you might enjoy this slow-mo explosion of a watermelon that my son and his friend did by wrapping hundreds of rubber bands around it. Fun to watch, but I am so impressed by the ability of the slow-mo to capture the watermelon splitting. Super cool tool for the soupy geeky gal. And this is, again, that was from Missy in Bellbrook, Ohio, and she gave me a link to the YouTube video, and I will have that in the show notes. 
on the last episode, I said I was waiting a year before I upgrade my iPhone to the 5S, or another year, that is, from the 5S to likely the 6S Plus. But after I recorded that episode, I had a chance to watch the keynote again and then look more into the specs and features of the 6 Plus, and, well, I started wanting it more and more. Then I got this voicemail. Hey, Rob, it's Joe from Miami. Been a listener since episode one. Love the show, Rob. I'm very disappointed to hear that you are not going to get a 6 or 6 Plus, and that's a problem. I think you need one so that you can explore it and give us all the tidbits and tips and tricks that we may not find on our own. That's why we need you, Rob. That's what we listen for. Anyway, I would be willing to donate a dollar or even maybe $5 to you so you can get one, so you can give us the information we need about the tips and tricks and everything else on the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. And I'd be willing to bet if you did a Kickstarter and promoted it on your show that you would get enough people to chip in a buck or two or whatever that you could get your own iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, for that matter, and you could give us all the tips and tricks we need. Thanks, Rob. Love the show. Bye for now. Joe, thanks for the feedback. And you're right. I do need to get it. And, um, well, your email was the straw that broke the camel's back. By the way, if anyone ever does want to donate to the show, you can always donate via PayPal to Rob, R-O-B, at podcast411.com. So Rob at podcast411.com. Always appreciate any donations. So I did decide to pre-order the iPhone at 2 a.m. my time on the 12th, but sadly, the Apple Store, as we've heard previously, was not working for a few hours, and the Apple Store app did not have the T-Mobile phone listed. I decided after running the numbers that going to the family plan for me and my wife, uh, for two of us with T-Mobile, buying out my early termination fee, that that going to T-Mobile was going and getting the unlimited plan for me for with from them and a three gig plan for my wife. It just made sense or dollars and cents. I mean, still a thousand dollar iPhone for the six plus 128 gig version once you factor in taxes. But anyway, after trying for a couple of hours, I threw in the towel. The next morning I went to T-Mobile store and well, they had a pretty long list of people interested in the 6 and 6 Plus, so they ordered one for me, to which I have no idea what my delivery date will be, just that I got an email saying it's back-ordered, and that's where I stand today. If there's anyone listening from T-Mobile that can help out, please, please, please pull some strings, email me today at an iOS, um, today in iOS at gmail.com, please, today in iOS at gmail.com. Email me and uh, let me know what what you can do to help me get my order going. I uh, would love to get that sooner. I may have to go wait online Friday and see if I can get one at the Apple Store and then bring it to T-Mobile and get it set up on the account and then cancel out the order I have. But again, if anyone does want to help donate to my iPhone 6 Plus fund, just send that PayPal donation to Rob, R-O-B, as in Robert, R-O-B, at podcast411.com. Your donations are greatly appreciated. There are a couple of items still not finalized on my bingo card, which are the amount of RAM and the clock speed. Rumors leading up to the event indicated it would be either staying at 1 gig of RAM or doubling 2 gig, and the clock speed could be anywhere from 1.3 gigahertz to 2.1 gigahertz, depending on which rumor you're reading. 
So supposed Geekbench tests of a device that's supposed to be an iPhone 6 or 6 Plus is showing the RAM at 1 gigabyte and the clock speed at 1.4 gigahertz. We shall see come Friday what the real clock speed and RAM are, but currently all rumors and speculations are right now leading to the 1 gig of RAM and 1.4 gigahertz clock speed for the real deal for the iPhone 6. That said, the iPhone 6's performance, according to Apple, is still going to be much improved. Anantech did a big piece on the speculation of what is in the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, but really, let's just wait till the next episode and not speculate at all. It will, I will be looking for posts with benchmark tests as well, because I am very interested to see how much faster the 6 and 6 Plus are versus the 5S. With regards to rumors, let's give credit where credit is due. Ming-Chi back in early April, released a research note where he said this about the next iPhones. There would be a 4.7 and a 5.5 version. Check and check. They would be 1,334 by 750 pixels and 1,920 by 1,080 pixels. Check and check. The displays would be 326 and 401 pixels per inch, respectively. Double check. They would have NFC. Check. They would be 6.5 to 7 millimeters thick. Pretty much double check. Uh, The 6 Plus is 7.1 millimeters thick. He expects the rear camera to stay at 8 megapixels with an f2.2 aperture. Check, check. He said there would be the adoption of optical image stabilization. Check on the 6 Plus. Pretty good predictions. He did miss a little, though. He did not predict 128 gig version, saying 64 gig would be max, and that only the 64 gig version of the 5.5 inch would have sapphire screen, and that the 5.5 inch would not roll out until later in the fourth quarter. So not perfect, but still better than pretty much everyone else was. So kudos, Mr. Ming-Chi Ku of KGI Securities, and thanks to John H. for the heads up to the link on that post from April. Thanks to Tom D for this next one, which is a link to an article in LinkedIn from Jason Calacanis, who is a popular blogger, entrepreneur, and angel investor. And he wrote a post after 9-9 event that is titled, Apple Knocks It Out of the Park, will be first trillion dollar company. So he is saying that Apple will go from today's market cap of around 600 billion to over $1 trillion. Hope he is accurate, and I hope it happens sooner rather than later, as that's over a 1.6x uptake in Apple stock price. His overly optimistic appraisal of Apple's future for its stock price is based on a few factors. Apple Pay will add about $100 billion in market cap. Apple Watch will add another $100 billion in market cap. He was happy to see Apple finally come out with a larger iPhone, and Apple looks to be adding Path.com to its fold as the founder of PATH was in the front row of the Apple event sitting next to Dr. Dre, which means Apple is looking to push back into social media once again. Hopefully it works out better for them this time around. The Financial Times is reporting that Apple will be getting 0.15% of each purchase run through Apple Pay. That's $0.15 for every $100 spent, which to me does not sound like a big number, but I am told there will be eventually billions and billions of dollars running through Apple Pay. 
and then it will actually start adding up to some real money. Again, or so I'm told, or informed by blog posts out there. But really, it would take $100 billion in sales to generate for Apple $150 million in revenue. Even if 10% of all shopping in the U.S. was done via Apple Pay, which is, well, ridiculously high, that would still be just $1.5 billion in revenue for the year, or around 1% of all of Apple's revenue, basically a rounding error at best. So sadly, not seeing how Apple Pay adds $100 billion to Apple's market cap, not unless you're looking at the lock-in to the ecosystem. Oh, this next one has to be my favorite email from a PR person for the past couple months. And they wrote the following, quote, Hi Rob, more than two in five U.S. adults who own a smartphone report they rarely or never use a password to unlock their smartphone. This is concerning with Apple's unveiling of new electronic wallet capabilities on the iPhone 6. I thought you might be interested in talking with the experts at Experion's Protect My ID on how consumers can protect their information and what to do if their phone falls into the wrong hands. Happy to set up an interview, email, Q&A, or provide tips. Regards, name redacted. <laughs> My response was pretty straightforward. Hello, name redacted. Do you not know how the iPhone and Touch ID work? If your experts need some help on this, let me know. I would be more than happy to educate your experts on the ways of Touch ID. Regards, Rob W. at Today in iOS. Strangely enough, there was no reply. And I think I was removed from her email blast list. Shame. There will be a lot of FUD about Apple Pay the next few weeks. Actually, eBay is already throwing the first stones, trying to link together the naked celebrity photos issue with Apple Pay and iCloud and security issues for Apple Pay just shows how truly scared eBay is. Now, eBay, by the way, um, uh, owns PayPal, so I should really say it's PayPal that's doing this, but PayPal's part of eBay. They definitely stand to lose a lot when Apple rolls it out. Hi, Rob. Jonathan here of formfilmtest.com. I had a question about the free YouTube album which was given to iTunes account holders as a previous purchase. My understanding is that as a previous purchase, this will remain as a previous purchase even beyond October, and that the October date given is only important for those without an iTunes account. If you want the album, you should get an account before that October deadline, but otherwise it should remain as a previous purchase. Is this not accurate? Let me know. Hi, Jonathan. That sounds accurate. And if you go into iTunes on your computer, and you should be able to download the album for free, and then it will be downloaded onto your computer, and it's really secure at that point. Hello, Rob. I took your advice and ordered a shave kit from harrys.com. Thanks for the $5 off. By the way, folks, that's harrys.com. Use promo code TII. In your Tuesday Item number 320, where you suggested getting the max memory when purchasing the new iPhone 6s. As a longtime Apple fan guy, I was surprised as most of the apps on my iPhone are mostly taking space and resources. Thus, they get deleted and stored in the cloud until I need them. And since the advent of iTunes match, 
launch, I am using half and never more than three quarters of the memory of my iPhone 5. I guess I could see this on the iPad as I tend to play more videos, music, and functional music apps, games, etc. What are you seeing in the future use that would warrant the extra memory purchase? I feel 64 gigs is a lot of memory. How say you, Rob? By the way, awesome rebuild of the TI app and website. Uh, regards, Frank. Well, Frank, it comes down to this. There are a lot, a lot of people out there that are redoing their apps to get all kinds of images in there to, to you know, make the images as big as possible to match them up with all the different versions of iOS devices now. And now we've got two more screen resolutions. So the app sizes are getting bigger. So if you have a lot of apps, if you're an app addict like me, you need the extra storage for those those apps. They're just getting bigger. And then if you do video recording, it, it that's another issue. I run out of space on my 64 gig iPhone 5S all the time. So I'm constantly having to go and sync my iPhone back to my computer to move all my videos and pictures off my iPhone back onto my computer. Now, granted, if I had iCloud set up, they would go off, but there's times when you're out in the wilderness and you're recording video and you're not connected and you can quickly use up the space. And, and most of the space on my iPhone 64 gig has to do with apps. I have a lot of apps. Hi, Rob. I bet there are quite a few listeners who are like me that hold on to the iPhone 4S phones and have met their AT&T contracts and are ready to purchase the new iPhone 6. My question is, which carrier would you recommend for a single user? I currently have AT&T's unlimited plan, data plan and unlimited text plan. Regards, Janet Ellen, Rockton, Illinois. Janet, looking at the four major carriers in the U.S., T-Mobile, Sprint, AT&T, and Verizon, the best deal, without a doubt, from what I see, comes from T-Mobile. So overall, from what the costs are, the T-Mobile plan, to me, looks to be the best. Hi, Rob. I'm currently using an iPhone 5, and I'm due for an upgrade to the 6, but I have no idea whether I should get the 4.7 or 5.5 models. All the tech experts on the podcast I listen to, exec example, MacBreak Weekly, are all going for the 5.5. Is bigger better for what it's worth? I also own a Galaxy Note 2 and was never too crazy about the size. Always thought it was a bit large, but of course, Apple's big phone design is more elegant than Samsung, so I'm not sure it's a fair comparison. Oh, and I'm so confused, Rob. I don't want to know which size to get. What are you getting? Thanks, Brent in Chicago. Brent, I am getting the 5.5 inch, the 6 plus, and my reasoning is a couple. One, in landscape mode, there's the extra abilities there, so you get some extra features in landscape mode on the 6 plus that you do not get with the 6. You also get the optical image stabilization with the 6 plus that you don't get with the 6. And well, I already have the 5S, so I'm trying to get as far away from it as I can. I've got the 5S, uh, you know, backup phone, but I guess it really comes down to how often you're traveling with it. Do you plan to work out with it? You know, the smaller phone is actually better if you're going to be out jogging or working out. But if you're looking for the device to get more work done, and you are someone like myself who's got eyes that are 47 years old going on 48, and you're starting to trombone quite a bit, then, well, then the 5.5 inch makes more sense. Again, for me, I'm going with the 5.5 because there's some features that are only available on the 6 Plus, the 5.5 inch, and I need to get that to talk about it on the show. 
Oh, and the other key reason I like the 5.5 better than the 4.7 inch one is the 6 plus, the 5.5 inch one has much better battery life. So that is a big factor for me. Back to the email bag. Hi Rob, I was watching my cousin do some cleaning because she has an iPhone 5S, 16 gig, and I realized that it would be really nice to have an app that can tell you what your most recently accessed apps have been. So that way it would make cleaning up your apps that you don't use a little bit easier. Would you or any of your listeners happen to know of an app that would actually allow you to do this? Regards, Tracy from St. Paul, Minnesota. Hi, Tracy. I am happy to mention again one of my favorite new features in iOS 8, and that is looking at the percentage of battery usage for your apps. If you look over the past seven days, it will give you a good idea of which apps you use the most. To get to that again, go to Settings, General, Usage, Battery Usage, then look under 7-Day Usage to get a feel for your favorite apps and most used apps. Hey Rob, this is Steve from Arizona, calling with a quick review of a Kickstarter project entitled iStick. Uh, I ordered a 16-gig iStick. This is, uh, was a Kickstarter project that allows one, it's got uh, two ends of it, one is USB, USB 2, I believe. The other is a uh, lightning connector that goes into an iPhone, iPad, whatever. And the theory is you can download, say, videos from your Mac or PC, put them on the iStick, and then play them using the free iStick app in the uh, App Store and play them on your device without having to download those videos to uh, your device and take up space. So far, the iStick works as advertised. The app works well, no problem there. The only negative I would say about the iStick is I'm not able to use it with an iPhone or iPad without removing my case. It does not work with any case that I own, be it iPad Air case or iPhone 5 case. So the only barrier is, and I'm planning to use this on airplane trips, uh, I have to remove my case on my iPad or iPhone to be able to use the iStick. So that's really the only negative. I think it sells for uh, varying prices. I paid $85 on Kickstarter for the 16 gig. I think that goes for 99 now. But you can check it out if you Google iStick. You will find it. And certainly if you need to take media with you, video files or uh, audio files, and you don't have room on your device or want it separately, it's a good deal. Thanks, Rob, for all you do. Bye-bye. Thanks, Steve, for the feedback. And folks, if you have a Kickstarter project for an iOS device that you've received, give us a call and let us know how it worked out for you. Of course, which project it was. In the free TI app for getting contact with us, it's pretty easy. Just click on the head in the upper right side when you're in an episode. And that will allow you to call the show and email the show. And the options will be there. So again, in the TI app, when you're at an episode screen, upper right, just tap on that head and that takes you to the contact screen. Hi Rob, a lot of phone companies offer replacing my phone after 12 to 18 months or they offer a two-year contract. Which way do you recommend going? My wife and I typically keep our phones for two years, but that was because of the contract we used to have. I prefer to replace my phone earlier, but haven't been because of the contract. Currently, we are on AT&T and our contract is up. I am willing to move companies, but 
want to get the best price. Any suggestions would be helpful. Thanks, Andy. Hi, Andy. Uh, one of those plans uh, is Sprint's new iPhone for Life plan. Most, if not all, of these plans uh, that allow you to update each year also require you to turn in your old iOS device to get the new one. So really, you're leasing the phones. Sprint actually even calls it a lease. Pricing for the Sprint plan is $50 a month uh, for unlimited plan plus $20 a month for the lease. That means for $70 a month on Sprint, you get unlimited plan plus a new iPhone uh, each year. Not each year, but every other year. So unlike AT&T's next plan with Sprint, it's still a two-year upgrade cycle. But you must turn in the iPhone so you do not own it. I personally like to own and keep my devices, so these plans are not attractive to me at all. The way the next 12 plan from AT&T works is you take the price of the iPhone you want and divide it by 20, and then you pay that amount each month. After 12 months, you can then upgrade to the latest iPhone by turning in the year-old iPhone, which, if you are getting the iPhone 6, means you'll be paying $569.40 towards the $949 price tag in the first 12 months, and then at the end of that have nothing to show for it. If, say, you want to upgrade each year, go with T-Mobile. Buy the phone outright, save money on the data plans, then sell off your year-old phone each year to help pay for the new phone. That is where today's sponsor helps out. Reminder, go to nextworth.com and use promo code TII to get 10% boost on the listed price for your iPhone. Thanks to Kevin for the heads up on this next one, which is about Apple and a map and lots of funny errors. Well, unless you're a geography teacher in Canada, then it was just a sad little map. Apple put up a map that helped buyers of the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus in Canada figure out when their new iPhone would be delivered. They did this by creating a map of Canada and then labeling the cities, except they called Toronto Ottawa and Ottawa Toronto. They had Edmonton in the wrong place. Quebec City was just labeled as Quebec and other errors. Oh, clearly Apple people need to download the app Stack the Countries and brush up on some geography outside of the U.S., Hey, Rob, it's Kevin Crossman from Fremont, California, hoping you can help me find the right app. I had a picture that I found in Instagram that I wanted to use as my desktop wallpaper for my lock screen. And, of course, that's a square image. And what I was hoping to do was to take that image and, you know, basically create a full-size image, you know, 640 by 960 or whatever, and just put in some solid colors above and below the Instagram square image. And I know how to do this very easily in a number of programs on my Mac, but I have no idea how to do this on an iOS device. And I did a little looking around, and all my uh, all the image editing apps seem to be around filters and, and making edits, but not to be able to say, create an image of a specified size and paste in something else from something else and you know, be able to you know, uh, use a, a bucket function to fill in a solid color or something along those lines. If you could recommend an app or have the listeners recommend an app for this sort of use, I'd certainly appreciate it. Thanks. Love the show. Kevin, thanks for the voicemail. And I would recommend Adobe Photoshop Touch for the phone. 
there's also one for the iPad, and it's $4.99 for the phone version. Back to email bag. Hi, Rob. I can't find out when we are able to purchase the new iCloud pricing, and do you think this will be enough to compensate for buying a 16-gig iPhone 6? Regards, Aaron. Hi, Aaron. While iCloud is great for storing photos and documents in the cloud, if you are an app addict, then 16 gig will go really, really fast. As I mentioned earlier, if you shoot lots of video, 16 gig will go quickly as well, especially if you plan on being off the grid, i.e. out in nature shooting video. You can go through 16 gigs really quickly with video recording and or lots of apps, and especially if you're doing slow-mo video. App size is getting larger and larger as devs add additional images to match the new screen sizes. Some devs will update their apps for optimized artwork for each device. That means apps will continue to get larger overall. Universal apps were bad enough already. Now they will get really big from the artwork devs will want to add, making the apps look the best possible for each device. Granted, some app devs will not do this, but many will. Having your app as one of the first ones in your category truly optimized for the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus uh, and all the other iOS devices, uh, that will land you a good shot at being featured by Apple. Hey there, Rob. My name is Scotty Ruth, and I'm an iOS app designer as well as a recovering app developer. And I just want to say thanks for the podcast because as a podcaster myself, I know how much work goes into these things. So you're doing a great job. Please keep it up. But I wanted to also let you and your audience know that I'm launching a free iPhone app next week. It's called Quotely, and Quotely is an app for parents whose kids say the darndest things. If you have kids, you know how it goes. They're funny, they say things that are cute, funny, embarrassing, and you just feel like you should be writing those things down. I mean, they're not going to be young forever, and they're not going to be that cute and talkative forever. So when they say something funny, you feel like you ought to write it down or post it on Facebook or something, but... There's really no fast and efficient way to do that. So Quotely aims to solve that problem by making it quick and easy to record these quotes, to personalize them in the form of a little quote card that you can then post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Parents are going to love this app. It's a free download, as I said, and it's available starting Tuesday, September 16th. Thanks, Rob. Hope everyone has a chance to check out Quotely on the App Store or visit us at quotelyapp.com. Dot com. That's Q-U-O-T-E-L-Y. Thanks. Hi, Rob. Do you think the Apple Watch will get on an approximately 12-month upgrade cycle with the next version, second gen, coming within 12 months of the first one? Regards, Michael. Well, Michael, it will probably be on some sort of cycle, but not sure how often. I heard rumors that the internals are meant to be replaced so that in the future you could just take your Apple Watch into an Apple Store, and for some fee, they would replace the battery and internal circuits. Not sure if that is just for the Apple Watch Edition, the high-end one, or all the Apple Watch models. I am sure there'll be a lot more about this as we get closer to the launch of the Apple Watch, but it is possible that the Apple Watch, as is, goes two years or more before the second-gen version is released. I, I would definitely not be surprised to see the second gen coming out, say, November of 2016. So basically a year and a half there in that case. So it would skip the 2015 Christmas season, and then you'd see the second gen somewhere around 2016 uh, holiday season. 
And if the second gen actually doesn't launch until holiday season of 2017, I would not be shocked at all. Hi Rob, I was wondering if I can get a free replacement for an iPhone 5 charger that's under warranty. Sincerely, Zachary S. Hi Zachary, yes, you should be able to get anything that came in the iPhone box replaced, including the earbuds, as long as they are still under warranty. Hey Rob, this is Ron from Hubbard, Ohio calling again. Just wanted to add one of those Apple naysayers that are already knocking the new Apple Watch. Uh, they say it's uh, designed uh, by uh, first uh, uh, first quarter students uh, for design, and then also that the watch is too uh, feminine. This is John Claude Vivet. I guess he's over in Europe someplace. I'll try to find out where he what he represents, but I think he represents watch manufacturers. Okay, bye bye. Hi, Rob. This is Ron from Hubbard again. Just want to let you know it's the head of LVMH Watch Division that is bashing the Apple Watch. Okay, you probably want to put that one into your files. So in a few years, you can put them up as one of them people that was so wrong. Okay, bye-bye. Hi, Rob. This is Ron from Hubbard, Ohio. Just wanted to call and let you know that uh, I'm also a lefty, and also there is a solution to this. Turns out you can uh, change the bands around on the uh, watch. The watch can be hung upside down on your wrist, and probably either in software or via the uh, position sensors, it will go and flip the display over so you can have the crown on the left and put the watch on the right hand. I've had the fortune of uh, being able to do some things with my uh, right hand, uh, that, uh, like uh, using right-handed style scissors and things like that, but... And usually I wear my watch on my left left hand anyway, but I have to put it on my right hand when I get that one. Okay, uh, that's what I got for you. So don't have to have a different watch to have a left-handed version of the uh, Apple Watch. Okay, bye-bye. Ron, thanks for the feedback, and thanks to all that sent in emails about the Apple Watch and the right wrist usage. And by all, I mean as in... All, as in Tommy P, Jernel R, Alberto J, Michael, Paul G, Stephen W, Kirby and PA, Aaron McVie, Golzer, Tash, and a few others. Seems that Apple does have a right wrist mode where it rotates 180 degrees. This was shown to some of the attendees at the after event. The digital crown in that orientation is in the lower left rather than the upper right corner that might actually be easier to use in that orientation. Some articles said that people should stop freaking out about this issue or stop spreading false reports about this. But to be fair to all that's had issues, questions about this, there is not a single picture on Apple.com of anyone wearing the Apple Watch on their right wrist. And there was not a single frame of any video on the Apple site showing it on the right wrist. And there was not a single word mentioned on the site or during the keynote that would indicate there is a right wrist mode where the screen flips 180 degrees. Again, this has been confirmed, but there is a, that there is a setup for right wrist, i.e. left-handers, use by those at the after event. But sure would have been nice if Apple, you know, would have put something up on their site about that option. And it really would not have taken up that much space. Just a single sentence or two at the most, maybe one picture, with the picture being optional. All we lefties were asking for was just a little 
recognition that yes, we're going to be able to use it on our right wrist. Back to the email bag. Rob, I am partway through listening to the most recent episode, and you mentioned the Apple Watch displays being made out of Sapphire. You also mentioned that the iPhone 6 display not being made of Sapphire. Actually, not all versions of the Apple Watch use Sapphire. The Sport model uses strengthened Ion X glass, the same as the iPhone 6. I believe I read Apple did not use Sapphire in the Sport Watch because they wanted to reduce weight. Perhaps the same is true for the iPhone 6, or perhaps they just don't have enough Sapphire supply at this point. Regards, Mark. Well, thanks, Mark. I missed that little footmark at the bottom of the Apple Watch technology page that says, quote, Sport models have composite back and Ion X glass lenses, unquote. So yeah, I think we now know which version is going to be $349, and that's the Apple Watch Sport models. Look, uh, they definitely look like they're the entry-level devices now. Pricing for the different models and straps will be very interesting. Wondering how high a price point Apple will go. I have seen some speculation that the gold Apple Watch Edition will be $1,999 for the top-end device. I would not be surprised, though, to actually see it at $2,999 for the top-end watch. After all, they already have laptops at that price point. Of course, there are going to be more and more details about the Apple Watch that are released from Apple over the next four-plus months. But after the Apple event, some journalists were able to play with the Apple Watch, and one of them was Mr. David Pogue. In his write-up, one thing I thought that stood out was this, quote, there are six different band styles in various materials, leather, plastic, stainless steel. On the bottom of the watch, at each end, there's a tiny release button that lets you make quick band changes without a Phillips screwdriver or a visit to a jeweler, unquote. Pogue also said, according to Apple, the Apple watch is water-resistant, sweating, wearing it in the rain, washing your hands, those are fine. But if you want to swim and, and or are in a triathlon, well, leave it at the first transition because this is not something for the pool, the lake, the ocean, nor is it for the shower. He said there is a speaker and mic on the watch so you can make and take calls right from the watch. No need to take your iPhone out of your pocket or in the case of the iPhone 6 Plus out of your backpack. What Apple said per the Apple Watch, per the phone function, is, quote, use the built-in speaker and microphone for quick chats or seamlessly transfer calls to your iPhone for longer conversations. You can also transfer calls from the Apple Watch to your car speaker phone or your Bluetooth headset and silence incoming calls by covering the Apple Watch with your hand, unquote. Also per the speaker and mic, Apple has a Nextel slash walkie-talkie feature, quote, for a fun alternative to a phone call, use the built-in speaker and microphone to trade spur-of-the-moment sound bites with friends, unquote. The fanciest model, the gold Apple iPhone edition, comes in a very nice jewelry box, which doubles as a charger. Just lay your phone into the box, and it charges. Again, more to come in the future. One thing I said on the last episode was, please forgive me or any callers who mistakenly call it an iWatch. And well, here's an audio clip of someone calling it an iWatch. And now, of course, as of today, the iWatch. And now, of course, as of today, the iWatch. Yep, that was Tim Cook calling it an iWatch, and that was right after the 9-9 event. 
So clearly, up until very recently, even internally at Apple, they were calling it an iWatch. But chances are, in China or Brazil or some other major country, Apple was unable to secure the iWatch naming rights. Thanks to Cameron in St. Paul for the audio of Tim Cook calling it an iWatch rather than an Apple Watch. Thanks to Michael for this next one, which is a story about what happens when you have a secretive product being built by the lowest cost labor possible and others willing to pay for info and samples of said product. And we are, of course, talking about Apple's iPhones being built in mass in China and the product leaks coming out of China. Seems in the city near where the iPhones are being built, there were advertisements saying they were purchasing parts from Apple Inc. at high prices. And that is where good old-fashioned capitalism meets low-income worker with no loyalty at all to Apple and bam, parts leak. In this case, it seems one of the leakers was arrested, a 40-year-old male who reportedly started stealing shells of the iPhones in July after seeing the aforementioned advertisements. He reportedly sold six shells of the iPhone 6 for 1,000 yuan, or about $160. The 40-year-old was arrested on September 4th. Expect a variation of this story to play out pretty much every year going forward, at least until Apple can figure out how to get a 100% robot-only factory. But until that date, people will grab capitalism by the horns. This arrest in no way plugs all the leaks, or really even many of the leaks, considering the first shells of the iPhone 6 were leaked back in April-May timeframe. Hi Rob, this is Giuseppe calling from Australia. And I've noticed that a lot of the discussion around the Apple Watch has centered on the, I guess, home screen, the, the the whole screen where you've got lots of different icons there. And there's a lot of negativity about that and a lot of people have criticized the seemingly crowded interface there and the jumble of icons. And I've seen a couple of demos online and it's interesting that the digital crown has been used to basically zoom in and zoom out. So it's essentially a navigation tool as well in terms of getting a you know closer view of those icons, increasing the target area for tapping on those icons as well. And it's an interesting point because I think if you look at other smartwatch interfaces, you're essentially having to flip through or scroll through page after page of different apps to get to what you want. Whereas Apple has, I guess, created this system where you basically have everything at a glance. And okay, it does look a bit confusing at first, but by zooming in and you know, essentially looking at different apps closer up so that you've got a bigger target to tap on. It's an interesting way of actually getting around that problem. So, yeah, I guess it did make me think that, I guess, until any of us actually pick up one of these things and use it for ourselves, looking at screenshots and even, you know, videos and demos online isn't really going to be much of an indication about how this thing's going to work. So, yeah, just a couple of thoughts there. Love the show. Um, keep up the great work. Thanks. Back to the email back. Hi, Rob. In praise of Apple, my wife's iPhone 5 qualified for the battery replacement scheme. As we live in Ireland, there were no Apple stores. We were faced with posting the device away to get the job done. This, of course, borders on unthinkable because uh, that means you are going to be without your iPhone for at least a week. We were going on a trip across the water to London at the end of last week, and I thought that we could ring Apple to see if we they could do anything to help while we were there. 
wearing Apple. They verified that the phone qualified and asked us what day, time, and store would suit us. Given the work community commitments, the only possible day that was available to us was Saturday. The girl on the end of to the phone checked the store for a jeans appointment and within moments was able to give us a time, the day, and the store that suited us. As with your other correspondence, they took only about a half an hour to replace the battery and off we went. Very happy with Apple service. I really don't know any other company that looks after their customers so well. Well done, Apple. Regards, Brian M., Galway, Ireland. Good morning, Rob and all listeners. I just got done listening to episode their um, item 320. And one thing you were talking about kind of caught my interest, and that is with regard to AT&T, the way they've got that uh, system set up now uh, regarding finding out if you're eligible for an upgrade uh, on your two-year contract. Uh, You know, they they typically want to push you into that next choice or whatever they call it, where you're paying 31 bucks a month. However, I do have a suggestion to get around all that, and that is if you download the Apple app for the Apple Store, uh, one of the options on there is it will notify you uh, if you select the option to when you're doing an upgrade directly from Apple and then check with your carrier. So if you put in your information the first time, it stores it, and then one of the options is to notify you through them when you do a regular uh, upgrade on your contract. So some food for thought. Maybe that'll work for some of you. That's how I've got it set up. As always, enjoy the show very much. It's one of the first podcasts I listen to when it comes out. Uh, Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll be listening. Bye now. Hey, Rob, I have a question for you. I bought an unlocked iPhone 5C in March, and I was wondering if you think the iPhone 5C will have the same lifespan as the iPhone 5. I'm hoping it gets one more iOS update over the 5, as it is one year newer, and there were improvements made over the 5. I've argued with many people over this that the 5C is better than the 5, better front camera, bigger battery, and more LTE bands. What do you think? Regards, Ben K. Hi, Ben, the 5C has the same processor as the 5. The only reason the 5 and the 5C would have a different end of life for updates would be 100% marketing, not technical. It's about the processor. I would fully expect that when the 5 is no longer supported with updates, the same will be true on that day for the 5C. Hey, Rob, I think that delaying the iPhones after Christmas was a brilliant marketing ploy by Apple because it's something that they didn't have to begin with. But now what that's going to do is people who are thinking about buying somebody else's watch, they're going to hold off. So they're not adding anything to Apple sales, but they're killing everybody else's. Thanks. Thanks to all that sent in this next one, which is a song from Mr. Jonathan Mann, a.k.a. Mr. Song A Day. This song is called Apple Watch, the musical. This is most of the song, but at the end of the song, he gets a little blue about people drawing crude pictures on their Apple Watches, so I cut the end off. There is a link in the show notes to the YouTube video for this. As we all sat waiting for the big show to begin, we saw shots of the crowd and we heard two songs playing. There was a bunch of live stream trouble that was cutting saw some bars and the tone drum, the TV truck and Twitter began to shout, ah, ooh. But then, hey, it's Phil Schiller, 
And I almost lost my patience He's talking about iPhones so much bigger There's a Chinese translation in the background In the background Anyway These phones are packed with pixels So many pixels, over a million pixels This guy's got a really warm neck You can use the phone one-handed We have one more thing. All my higher brain functions are dropping away. Images flashing, Johnny I've narrates. I'm Pavlov dog coming on command. Tim Cook raises up his hand. It's the Apple I watch, can't help myself. I want one so bad, I'm about to pass out. What's the interface? How you get around? Oh yeah, simple. It's the digital crown. Thanks again to Nextworth for sponsoring this episode, and please go to nextworth.com and get a 10% bonus on your trade-in when you enter the code TII. That's nextworth.com. Enter the code TII to get 10% TII listener bonus when you trade in an iPhone. Thanks, Nextworth, for sponsoring this show. And before we go today, I want to remind you to send in your feedback to the show, 206-666-6364, that's 206-MOON-DOG, or record your feedback and email it to the show at todayinios at gmail.com. Feedback can be a question or comment for something someone said on this episode, or it can be a question or rant you have about something else. An app, a product review, good or bad, as long as it's iOS-related, it is welcomed. I'm always looking for new artwork to feature on the show that you've created on an iOS device. Just put some TII branding on it and send it in. And of course, we're always looking for more music created on an iOS device to play on the show. This is your show and your feedback is greatly desired. And don't forget to check out our moderated Google Plus community by going to todayinios.com community, especially for those of you waiting in line. Let us know where you're at and how many people are in line and what time it is. And finally, there is the new and updated TII app that is now free to you. Search for TII in the iTunes App Store. It is the best way to consume the show and get push notifications each time a new episode of TII is released. Please go right now and download the TII app. Yes, you, right now, not, no, not in a few minutes, but right now as you listen to the outro music and then a couple of extra voicemail messages after that. Go ahead, do it, download it now. 
And that, folks, is going to do it for us today. Until the next time, I'm your host, Rob, from Today in iOS, reminding you to phone different. This show is hosted on Libsyn.com and part of the Wizard Media Network. If you are looking for hosting, go to Libsyn.com, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, for hosting for your podcast and for creation of your own smartphone app. The Today in iOS podcast can also be found on the free Stitcher radio app. Just search for T-I-I.
Hello, Rob. This is Justin from Pennsylvania. I'm calling in response to just the whole week of Apple that we just went through. And I just, I'm so excited to be getting a new, I'm getting an iPhone 6. I have to say that, you know, I still can't see myself ever wanting a 5.5 inch phone. I just think it's too big and I don't really have very large hands. So I just can't imagine my them being able to fit. Now, without me actually being able to actually, you know, ha- have one in my hand, it's, it's impossible for me to say for that for sure. So I went with the iPhone 6. I went with the Space Gray. I'm very excited to be getting it so far. It says I should get it on the 19th. Um, keep my fingers crossed for that. And I just, I think it's it's exciting times to be getting new hardware. I like the look of the Apple Watch. Um, I don't think I'll be buying it first gen, but I'm excited to see what it's like and excited to hear what other people, you know, on this show that do get it, what they think of it. And I think it's really neat how they entered the NFC with the watch and how they're implementing it. Well, it just keeps constant contact with your skin, punching the code once. And it's, you know, good as long as it doesn't lose contact with your skin. I just think that's a really cool way of doing the, the payments with the watch. And I know you were a big fan of that. So I'm just, I think it's great all around. I mean, I think the watches are a little bulky. I'm sure the battery life isn't very good. They didn't mention it. All they said was how easy it was to charge. Um, So you can imagine the battery life is definitely going to be an issue in the first gen watch. But hey, anyway, it's exciting times. I think you got a great lineup, whatever you're into. I think Apple's got a more, even more compelling lineup than they've ever had. And, uh, you know, you can't, people can't say the phones are too small anymore because they're both bigger. And I'm excited to get my 4.7-inch phone. I think it's about time to get a little bit bigger phone here. And I think it was really neat how they implemented that one-handed use, how everything just scrunches down. It looks weird, but, hey, I think it's a cool way of making these phones more usable. And it's more than anything Android ever tried to do. All they did was blow up the software, and you watch everyone use the phones with two hands. Apple's still trying their best to make these usable with one hand. I think that's a great a great thing. So anyway, I know I kind of rambled here, but I'm just I think I think the phones look great and I'm really excited to get my hands on one. And thanks Rob, I love the show and I can't wait to hear your next episode. Thanks. Bye. Hey Rob, this is uh Philip here in Dallas. Uh just calling. I just got done watching the uh iPhone 6 uh event and I got to say uh I'm not really super impressed uh I know a lot of people were looking forward to a, a big iPhone, but uh, I was one of the few that actually was not. I kind of like the size of the iPhone uh, 4.4s the best, and uh, the 5, 5s is okay, but I just really was not looking forward to a, a bigger iPhone. Um, as an avid runner, you know, it, I can't imagine uh, putting a, a 4.7, oh, a 5.5 inch on an armband and trying to run with that, uh, that monstrosity. It just uh, seems a little too cumbersome for me. And uh, the reachability just really didn't excite me either. It seemed kind of like a clunky way of uh, tackling the uh, ease of one-handed use. Uh. And uh, battery life, I was really expecting a little more out of the battery life for the 4.7. Uh, uh, I understand why the 5.5 has better battery life, but uh just didn't seem like enough improvement out of the 4.7. <clears throat> and uh, the other thing that kind of bothered me was the storage price starting at 16 and uh, dropping the 32 gig I really think that they should have dropped the 16 and, and gone 32, 64, and 128 because these apps are getting bigger, and 16 gig is just, it's just pointless nowadays. Everyone's running out of room, and your free iCloud storage is so small. 
and that hasn't been up. And it's just, uh, I think Apple needs to do something about that. And another thing about the looks, uh, the phone looked okay. It looked a, a little bit like an Android phone to me, which, uh, is kind of disappointing, but the uh, camera bulging out, I, I find that incredibly ugly. I mean, it's just, it's just, seems like something that'll get scratched or maybe scratch something else and just doesn't look good. I didn't think it looked good on the iPod Touch. I couldn't believe why Apple would do something like that. They're just so obsessed with going thin instead of, uh, you know, the, the design aspects. And that's uh, that's about all I have to say. It's just kind of sad. I normally upgrade every year. I've been upgrading every year since the iPhone 3GS. I had every single phone. And uh, this year, I think I'm going to skip and uh, see what they have for us next year when it comes to a uh, smaller option. Thanks, Rob. Love the show. Hey, Rob. It's Ryan from Seattle. Just wanted to um, write in and give you some feedback in regards to Apple's announcement this morning. Firstly, I am excited about the iPhone 6. looks great. Um, I am going to be pre-ordering an iPhone 6 4.7-inch on Friday morning uh, as soon as I can. Looks like a pretty great uh, remodel that they've got going there with the body, and uh, very excited for that. Secondly, the mobile payment. Not too terribly excited about that. I think it's a cool thing, and I'm not sure if I will be using it a whole lot, but a cool thing nonetheless. Finally, the watch, the Apple Watch. That thing looks awesome. And watching the movie or the little ad that they had during the live event, I kept thinking to myself, LG, Motorola, and the Galaxy Gear Watch or whatever, they, they're done. They're done. Um, Apple just blew away the competition uh, with this thing. Too bad it's not going to be available till early 2015. But I currently have a Pebble, and I am excited for uh, the iWatch, or the Apple Watch, rather. All right, Rob, thanks a lot, man, and uh, looking forward to the next episode. Bye.